Saints, not sinners. Um, this is our last message in this mini-series, and I think it's been an important one. Uh, but before we get into the recap and stuff, I want to jump into the pondering. I got a number of things that made me ponder this week, and some of them are, go deep really fast. Others are light, but I've been really enjoying the pondering section. Grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give, but cannot. All of that unspent love gathers in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. And that's not just referring to death. That's referring to the loss of dreams, relationships, and so on. There's many ways people grieve, but I thought there's a lot of people going through a lot of pain right now, and some that have lost loved ones, so I thought that was, that was really cool. I use this one at funerals uh, a lot. I, I just think it's a really good one. And I love this one from Martin Luther. Just as there is no fire without heat and smoke, there is no faith without love. And I love that because love is the foundation for all that we do. It is the foundation of all that we believe. And it makes us have to redefine what we think love is. Because I have a hunch our Western culture uh, has a different way of defining love. And it's, I don't think it's very pure. I think we need to go back to our more ancient mystics and Listen to what they have said and taught for the last 2,000, 3,000 years. I love this one too. Every time you get upset at something, ask yourself, if you were to die tomorrow, was it worth wasting your time being angry? That's a really good one. (laughs) I sometimes tell individuals that share a painful moment or uh, they're wrestling with something pretty big. It's like, oh no, how could they do this? Or I can't believe this is happening. Is it going to matter in six months or six years. And if it's not, rethink the energy you're putting into it. I thought it was good. Love this. Being angry at modern people for losing their faith is like blaming medieval people for catching the plague. That was brilliant. Because I know people are, there's a lot of chit-chat about people losing their faith, and so how could they do that? Well, guess what? They're actually not losing their faith. Just so you know, we're going to kind of look at that in a little bit. But I thought that was pretty good. I don't encourage false positivity. Be sad when you're sad. Cry if you must. Be angry if you are. Let it out. Let it go. Honor your emotions, but always choose to dwell on the positive ones. I know there's this phase of uh, toxic positivity that really gets in the way of people's lives where they go, la, 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 and play happy, happy, happy only. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't play fake with humanity and how we're wired with so many emotions. And so when you do that positivity just to avoid facing reality, it becomes really unhealthy. I think we need to embrace it all and find healthier ways through it and navigate it. Jesus always chose loving the neighbor over loving theology. Jesus always chose sitting with the vulnerable over standing with the powerful. Jesus always chose healing the broken over correcting their brokenness. I love that. Jesus always chose empowering the poor over defending the rich. If we just begin to look at the life of Jesus, oh boy, the example he lived. (laughs) I think he'd look at the church today and go, what is this? I have a hunch. Almost done. Be the person who breaks the cycle. If you were judged... Choose understanding. 
If you were rejected, then choose acceptance. If you were shamed, choose compassion. Be the person you needed when you were hurting, not the person who hurt you. Vow to be better than what broke you, to heal instead of becoming bitter, so you can act from your heart, not your pain. There's another phrase I saw that don't bleed on people that didn't cut you. It's a really good one to remember. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire or not whether they are worthy. (laughs) Just love. Back to the what is love. And this one is the biggie. Love thy neighbor. Love thy homeless neighbor. Love thy Muslim neighbor. Love thy black neighbor. Thy gay neighbor. Thy white neighbor. Thy Jewish neighbor. Thy transgendered neighbor. Thy Christian neighbor. Thy atheist neighbor. Thy racist neighbor. Thy addicted neighbor. Do I know which one caught me? I'm going to point out the one that caught me, and you might laugh right here. Thy Christian neighbor. I'm serious. That's why that's up there, because um, over the last couple of years, we, there's been a, 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 um, other faiths that are uh, different than ours tend to speak up and purport their lens on an opinion of who God is and what the church is, and and you kind of go, oh my goodness, I want nothing to do with them. And they're Christians. It's really hard to love people that you disagree with so richly. <laughs> and there are others that, you know, we, we walk in harmony. But I thought that line, because the other stuff could throw you off. But the Christian neighbors, the one that caught my attention, I thought was really good. Time for a devotional. This is, this is a... Um, A meditation to get us into our topic today from Henry Nouwen. God is at work in the world. We have to learn how to think about the events of the day that take place in our community or in our larger world and to see them as ways to come to know God in new ways. There is the spiritual life and the political world and the economical world. But somehow we must really believe that God is a God of history who works in the events of the day, as in he's not absent. It is important that you learn to read the newspaper with a heart that sees God at work among his people and to be aware of the great struggle in which you are involved. Struggles with the power of evil and the hidden love of God. God is present but you have to be in touch with that very reality. You might know how, uh, sorry, you might know about Ireland and Iran and Iraq and know about communities in different places that suffer, but do not see them as a set of distracting things, but see God is at work in this world. The world and the reality of daily events are there to be read with the mind and heart of God. Prayer itself should gradually become more and more reality-oriented. To pray is not to sit there and fantasize and daydream. To pray is to look at Jesus, who is real, and to believe more and more. The greatest of all reality is the presence of God in the world. God is the core reality from which all things derive their reality. What is not real does not belong to God. That's a long one, I know. And you may have to rewind and rehear it. I can email you the text because it was, to me, just kind of 
made me think, we can look at our world and go, oh no, we've lost hope. Look, at the world's getting worse and worse and worse. And if you come from a church background that teaches you the world's going to get worse and worse and worse, guess what you're going to read? The world's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But if you begin to see hope and light, and if you look at that dream that Daniel had where um, the statue gets knocked down by the rock and the rock fills the whole earth, that's Jesus coming. The kingdom of God has arrived and fills the whole earth. Jesus wins. But some of our theology or the way we perceive certain theology makes Jesus out to be the loser. The devil wins, if you want to use that term. Or fear wins. No, Jesus won, has won, is winning. And if we look for the hope, you're going to find it. If you're not looking for it, you're actually going to find whatever you're looking for. (laughs) Let's get into this. Saints and not sinners. Last, the, um, the first week that we did this, we explored the history of the Reformation, how Martin Luther played a role in it. That was pretty cool. Uh, we explored then the topic of saints and sinners, as well as the way scriptures have what they have to say about being a saint, that we are saints, not sinners, because our behavior does not determine our identity. Never forget that. And today, in our final message, we're going to explore how God sees us. We started last week, but our subjective perspective can be altered by circumstances and emotions. But how God or Trinity sees us is how they see us. This is all about good news. This is what Hope Fellowship has been about for the last 20 years. And it's just getting better and better, maturing and maturing. If you missed last week, this is what we covered. For you who are weary, Jesus says, come to me who are weary. He is your rest. He doesn't repel people. He invites, let the children come to me. You are a saint. That's really cool. Sometimes we are taught that, oh, you have to die to be a saint, and you have to do a miracle from death, and all that stuff, all these misconceptions of what saints are. But really, being set aside and holy, you're a saint. You've been made right, past tense. We all have been made right. You've been reconciled. We're going to cover that again today from a different verse. And then any condemning voice does not come from God. Any voices of condemnation, nah. And that's a tough one to learn because we're surrounded by condemning voices, judgments, people that are negative. It's a hard thing. So let's get into this. So here's the rest of today is about the, the way God sees us. And I want to go with a manufacturer's opinion. <laughs> okay? We don't go to... Um, VW to buy a muffler for a uh, GM. That's stupid. You, they, it won't work. Or computer component for a... Uh, anyway, you, you get the point. You go to the manufacturer, and if we are created by Christ, and Christ took us into himself at the cross, we have died with Christ and have been raised with Christ, who are we? The real us. This is what we're covering. You are one with Christ. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, what's scary and exciting is I'm one with Christ. So is Russ. So by that connection, guess what? He and I are one as well. And I'm one with you and you and you and you and you and you. We are one. That's a bizarre thing to meditate on. But if you were were just pondering that for a little bit, hope could begin to swell up. And I'm going to rip through these because i got so many. And I really want to get... I will get through it, even if I go, so I'll get through it. Christ's love compels us. Why is this important? Because I've, I, again, I'm, I'm drawing on my background. I was told I must love God more. 
I must do this for God to bless me. And that is absolutely backwards and wrong. We're blessed because Christ blessed us. He chose to love us. We love because he first loved us. Not the other way around. You know, otherwise you're playing the Grover thing again. Near, far. You know, when you're good, God's near. When you're bad, God's far. No, it's not like that at all. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The word all comes up a lot. But this is about the motive. Where do we get our motivation from? Is somebody pushing motivation on you to, for you to become a better Christian? Uh, Well-intentioned, but unbiblical. All right? Point them to the love of Christ. Let them be renewed in their mind. Then behavior will change. We're a new creation. Wait a minute, back to this verse here for a second. Uh, we're convinced that one has died for all, they're all, for all have died. That's part of this new creation. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. They're, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything new has become new. This is a big one. Being a new creation, it happened in Christ. This is an objective truth. You may not feel like it, but it's an objective fact according to what we read in the scriptures. And it takes away all the ammunition of judgment and shaming and all that stuff. I love it. We're reconciled. We talked about this last week a little bit. This is a past tense deal. What does reconcile literally mean? It has to do with the restoring of relationship. There's sometimes there are things that hinder our relationship. So if Russ and I get into a fight sometime um, because he poured my fresh pot of coffee down the drain, I can be mad at him. I'm like, how could you possibly do that? And then, and then he comes and apologizes, cleans the mess, makes a new pot of coffee, and, uh, and says sorry from the heart. Our relationship is restored because the thing that was hindering a good relationship was removed and taken care of. It's a silly ob- object lesson. But still, Jesus took the thing that was hindering us from having good relationship with God, removed it as in the darkness of our minds, thinking we were separated. And he fixed that mindset and now we are reconciled. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means we're to declare the reconciliation. Not tell people, hey, you want to get reconciled? Say this magic prayer. (laughs) No, tell them the good news. And then their heart will respond to pray in response the words that need to be shared from their heart. You're righteous. <laughs> this, one's, this one's really good for the Jewish community because <clears throat> the word righteous was a heavy-duty Jewish concept, being right with God. And so, I, again, I read a book on, called Pursuit of Holiness, and then I, I saw another one called The Practice of Godliness. I think that might have been it. But then there's another one on righteousness because I thought I would have to try to become righteous because without righteousness, no one sees God. Well, then I want, I want to see God because I believed I wasn't going to. I believed there's something incorrect in me. I believed I was incomplete and lacking something. And today and last week, I'm here to tell you you're not lacking a single thing. Start believing what is true about you, then live from it. Everything will change. You have the mind of Christ. The New Living Translation says, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. 
How does that happen? It's a weird concept. How do we have the mind of Christ? Well, we're fused in spirit to Christ. This is where our union matters. We have the mind of Christ. Not every thought you have is your own. I don't believe that. I think there are thoughts planted into us. But I believe the core essence of who we are, our union with God, we have the mind of Christ. Sometimes great thoughts come our way, instincts come our way, and we trust that mind. There are other negative voices that come and wrong things that, but if we believe just every willy-nilly thought, never take any thought captive, we can have some good stuff and bad stuff happen all the time. But I believe the mind of Christ speaks to us in a really important way, giving us hope, giving us inspiration, even when it doesn't make sense. First Nations translation says it like this. For who understands the mind and heart of the great spirit and can sit in counsel with him? But we who share his spirit do understand the mind and heart of the chosen one. I love that. Mind and heart. Something not talked about enough. I love, love, love this part. Galatians 2.20. Faith. Another phrase I grew up with was, you need to have more faith. How many have heard that one? We, we all have. Well, it's just not true. How can we get more faith? It's implying we're lacking faith. Oh, but I'm having trouble believing something, therefore I lack faith. But wait, what is faith? And who is the source of faith? This is where things get interesting. Uh, the King, um, King James Bible gets it right when it talks about this verse. This is coming from Galatians 2.20. My life is no longer, this is from First Nations version first. My life is no longer my own. For my life belongs to the chosen one, Jesus, who lives in me. The life I now live in my weak human body, I live, listen carefully, by trusting in the faithfulness of the Son of the Great Spirit who loved me and gave up his life for me. Young's literal translation says, I live by Son of God faith. Many other translations will say, I live by faith in the Son of God. If your Bible says that, it's an incorrect, incomplete translation. If you look into the footnotes, you'll probably see a little star. You can always look for those stars. Or if it's italicized, it's an added-in word, if you didn't know that. So this idea, I live by faith in the Son of God, implies it's up to me and my faith that I currently have. I live by that faith that I have in the Son of God, my belief in him. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying, I live by the faith Jesus has given me. I live by the faith of Christ, his faith. So technically, you can't lose faith. <laughs> it's impossible because your faith isn't your own. It's a gift. And when we see it that way, then we stop competing and comparing. Oh, I wish I had faith like that person. Oh, they seem to be so spiritual. Stop looking at them. You have no idea what goes on behind closed doors or where their worries and fears and shameful thoughts are. You have no idea, but they can look all spiritual and wonderful and they don't, some people just don't share the struggles at all. But we live by the faith of the Son of God. So don't tell anybody ever again to have more faith. Have them look in and say, the faith of God's already in you. Look for it. Whatever measure God has given you is based on your ability to handle that revelation, whatever that is. 
Yeah, it's pretty wild. I love that. Gives me a lot of hope. The NRSVA, New Revised Standard Version, um, version says this, And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, my body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Aha, look at this. Or by the faith of the Son of God. They, I don't know why they don't just correct it and do it right. I don't understand that. But anyway, because, mostly because if you grew up in church, you memorize scripture. You went to Sunday school, and this is how you learned it, and this is bred into you. It's just, it's just a reaction. So it's time to change some of those things that were incomplete, sometimes incorrect. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is important, that we also remember that Christ loves us. Every single one of us. There's nobody that God doesn't love. There's never been a person you've met that God doesn't love. Not a single person that should beg a question. Well, then how do I respond? That's a great question. I don't have the answer today. <laughs> I'm still learning. Oh, this one's good. You're holy. How do you like that? That doesn't mean you can go to your spouse and say, okay, you can start calling me holy because it says I'm holy. <laughs> doesn't work like that. You are holy and blessed with every spiritual blessing. This is really, really good news. You're not holy because of something you did. Because I grew up believing when I do unholy acts or acts that are displeasing or um, whatever, then I suddenly become unholy. I keep flopping, flip-flopping in and out of holiness. Not true. You are holy. You may get dirt on you. Have a shower. <laughs> it comes off. It's not part of your DNA. Your DNA is holy, pure, righteous, loved, reconciled, filled with faith. It says here in Ephesians 1, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ. Did, does he know every single person that he's writing to? No. He declared them all because he knew something that they may not. They needed the reminding. And this is a great way to start. Why would he start with that? Because that's probably the biggest thing we forget, who we are. That's why we constantly teach on that here in different ways. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus give you grace and peace. I love that, grace and peace. <laughs> grace, multiple ways to understand that word, unmerited favor. I like the idea of grace being personified. Jesus is grace. That works for me really well. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Is that what it says? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And here it is again, reminding us of what is true, not how we may feel or act or see somebody else acting. We have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You don't have to ask God for any more extra blessings. You can't even handle the ones you got. You don't even recognize the ones you have. Is it okay to pray all that? Yes, of course. Go ahead. God can handle all that. But as we grow and mature, we're going to start to see, oh my goodness, I already have that. I don't have to ask for patience. I'm just not using or accessing the patience of Christ in me. I'm accessing my ego... Uh, human patience that it's a 
bad counterfeit. (laughs) I love this. Even before he made the world, that's a long time ago, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. Can you imagine? This is God's thought before the creation. Uh, Here's a hint. This will give some insight in the story of Adam and Eve that we see in our written text. How God saw them even after they ate the fruit. Still saw them that way before it all happened. Because when God walked into the garden, hey, where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? We were bad. You know? (laughs) God didn't turn and say, pfft. I can't have anything to do with sin and evil. Oh, no, no. That's like cooties. Ah, get away from me. God didn't do that. He walked right in. Where are you? He knew full well what had happened. And God's disposition didn't change. It was the mindset of Adam and Eve that changed. They thought God was mad. They thought they were separated. They thought, all these egocentric thoughts flooded in, and it was, a, it was now a disease in their minds. And that's why Jesus came, to change that disease permanently back, that darkness. That's the beauty of Jesus coming. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's how he did it. This is what he wants to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Can you believe that? You gave God great pleasure when he brought you into himself. And this is where it gets individual. Every single one of us. This is good news. There's no groveling, no begging, no trying to get God to like you by doing certain things and attending church and blah, blah, blah. God likes you already. You know? That's good news. Oh, I love this one. This is probably one of my biggest revelations uh, about 15 years ago, I think. Well, no, this would be almost 20 now. Almost 20 years. Our sins are taken away. They're forgiven. That's a tough one because I... Swear I was taught you got to ask for forgiveness. Because they brought up that verse, if you confess, then he's faithful. And just, that, that's not what that verse means, and I don't have time to get into it today. But what if we have already been forgiven? What if we see in Scripture, in multiple places, because I, I did a couple sermon series on this, but I wanted us to be reminded, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. Where is this forgiveness from? Forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches of his grace. Because we're united. That's how. Our union is evidence of our forgiveness. Wow. My prayers changed. I don't ask God to forgive me anymore. And I'm fine with people praying, please forgive me. Instead, I now kind of say, dear God, what I just said and did, that did not reflect who you are in me. That did not reflect our union together. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Maybe I'll slip in, please forgive me, just to be sure, right? (laughs) Ha ha, just kidding. (laughs) But it's okay, this is relational. And the peace of Christ gives me the wisdom to know, yes, you're affirming a truth. You're not begging for something you haven't got. That's what today is about. We can stop begging for things we already have. It changes everything. 
New Living Translation says he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Showered kindness. We're united in Christ. There's that union again. Raised to life. Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. What does that mean? Not sure. (laughs) There are many ways to see this, so I'm not going to give an absolute, here's what this means. Because uh, as I grow, and I'm still growing, and I mean spiritually not here, uh, as I grow, it really makes me realize that everything I've learned so far has been a path to the continuation of my growth. And instead of sneering at the past background of religious systems that I am opposed to, I now realize, as Paul Young would say, they're my people. And not to be angry with them. Hence that meme. (laughs) But to say, hey, there's a union here that I need to see before I judge. And if I'm going to judge, I'm going to judge Christ in them. I'm going to judge their union. That's the kind of judging we are to do. Not the other kind. You're a work of art, not a piece of work. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Christ has planned for us to be a loving person to people around us. There'll be circumstances where you'll suddenly be generous to somebody. Where'd that come from? Christ in you. There isn't a to-do list for you. There really isn't. There's, if you want some direction, the New Testament gives us some commands that are for our benefit. And you can live from those commands and have it right in front of you and keep checking, keep checking your commands. But pretty soon, as you grow, you're going to realize they're in my heart, and now I'm going to trust the Spirit of Christ in me and begin practicing listening to that voice in me, Christ in me. And it's going to reflect these commands, which are not laws, by the way. The laws have consequences. Commands have benefits. I love this. The First Nations translation says, we are like clay in his hands, molded from the chosen one, made to be like him, and walking the ancient pathways he originally created for us. (laughs) Each of us are on a pathway, and we can't look down someone else's path and go, I want that, Uh, you can't go down that path, or I want this path. You can't do that. (laughs) It's you and Christ as one. What does God have up his sleeve for you? How does he want you to love someone else today? To forgive someone today? To be kind to someone today? To offer hope to someone today? (laughs) Passion translation? I love this. We have become his poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. We are joined to Jesus, the anointed one, even before we were born God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. This is good news. And lastly, almost lastly, 
the Trinity is actively at work in us. Back to union, back to oneness. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Beautiful picture. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, not work hard for your salvation. Big difference. You'd be surprised how many people read it the wrong way. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So who's the source? Jesus. Who initiates? Jesus. Who is in charge of the outcome? Jesus. So what's your role? Participate and believe. That's it. You don't have to go searching and hunting and finding, what is God's will for my life? It's almost like we've been told God's will is this small diamond put on this 10-kilometer white sands beach. Now, go find it. See if you can find God's will. That's the meanest thing you can do. That is not how God works. God's will is Jesus in you. It's that simple. But I have a hunch we need to learn to hear the shepherd's voice. We really do. It's going to sound different for some of us, and that's okay. Stay loving. Judge union in someone else, not the negative judgments. Christ holds all things together, which means Jesus is not absent from anything or anyone in all of creation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds some creation together. Holds all creation together. See, this is, when this hit, this changed how I see creation. It changed how I see us as individuals. And it changes how I see myself and how God would see me. There is no such thing as separation. It's an illusion in your mind. If this is true, then Christ is connected to everything we don't worship a chair because Christ holds it together. That's ridiculous. But we love those he's put us around. We care for the creation around us. <laughs> it's got to be good news or it ain't good news. How many more have I got? Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. See, I told you I'd get done. Done. <laughs> ah! There's so much more good news. I could turn this into a couple more weeks, but Christmas is coming, and next week is our first Advent, so I had to close this up. But I'll pick up some of it next year when we dig into what is Hope Fellowship all about? What do we believe? And I've given you a really good cross-section. So I don't want to ever sway from what we've just shared. This has been the heartbeat, and it gives people more hope I don't have to give a to-do list to somebody who's trying to find God. I just say, 
Christ is in you. Open your eyes. If you don't believe it, let me share with you a story. Some people can see it right away. Some need the other route to come to an understanding that Christ did all this for them. It might even look more traditional, and that's okay. I'm not going to balk at that. But my goal is that they see Christ in themselves, that they see Christ in all people because of what Jesus has done. Let's close. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you open our eyes to see what it is we need to see about you, but can you also open our eyes to see how you see us? And help us to believe that. Take the faith you've placed in us and give it a good shake, especially if there's cobwebs in the way. You just wake us up to more and more good news. If it's not good news, it's not good news. So Jesus, be the revealer, be our guide, be the inspiration, be the source of all that you want to do in us. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.